0: Okay, so this week we found out black boxes in racism, unless you happen to accidentally put hashtag Black Lives Matter in your caption. We see white people engage in white guilt struggle sessions, and we try to figure out if cops are vicious racists or just very undertrained. I'm Dakota War. Grab yourself something refreshing, and let's head into the war room. Alright, so let's just get right into it. So today, this first episode of The War Room, thank you for being here with me, is going to be all about culture and politics because I mean that's that's all that's out there right now. So, I mean, unless you're like Jared Leto, who I don't know if you heard back when uh the coronavirus is happening, Jared Leto went on this uh silent meditation retreat in the desert for like two weeks away from civilization. And then when he got back, like, you know, he like obviously came back to the the apocalypse. So unless you were like that. Then this week on Tuesday, obviously, you saw the hashtag Blackout Tuesday everywhere on social media. You saw all these posts. Everybody's taking part in it. You know, we had every company from Target to Food Network to every person you went to high school with. All these people had black boxes on either their stories or if you just scroll down for like, like I mean, more than like 30 seconds, you probably saw about 100 black boxes. So what was Blackout Tuesday, and why was it so important? I mean, those are the questions that I was asking when I saw it. So I, I did not know about it until I woke up that morning and seen everything. So according to Insider, this is a quote, Blackout Tuesday is an initiative to go silent on social media, reflect on recent events, and stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, yeah, I know that's, that's what I saw, but what we also got, and this is, I swear, for the past, again, the past few days, this is all we have been getting. We got more virtue signaling, more social media brow beatings, and then just like, just all around, just so white people engaging, seriously, in these like cringy, white guilt, these Maoist struggle sessions. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, what a struggle session is, I'll give you like a quick little summary. So basically, it was. This form of public humiliation, and it was it was obviously used by the Communist Party in China during the mao era and its its aim was to sort of shape public opinion and like humiliate, persecute, and then in extreme cases execute political rivals and class enemies and so obviously, right now with this, we can substitute class enemies for uh for race in this instance, and so the victim was essentially forced to admit to various crimes didn't matter if they were guilty or innocent, but admit to various crimes before a crowd of people who would verbally and physically berate and abuse the victim until they confess. And so, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that sounds wild, but I mean, that's pretty much what you're seeing on social media. We are seeing white people confess their, you know, to their various crimes of being white or privileged, male, ex- you know, whatever it is. And then you see them, you know, they must beg for forgiveness from this angry hive on on Twitter and Instagram, and in some cases, actually in person. You know, one one of the more ridiculous ones I saw, I saw I, mean, I saw a few, few just like crazy ones, like you felt like you were watching a I don't know a movie based on like a cult and like I don't know Midsummer or something, but one of the more ridiculous ones that I, I witnessed on social media, so consisted of this group of white people. And they are on their knees in front of a group of black people, like, just begging for forgiveness from God. And so they had the, the leader of this group of white people who were on their knees. And so the man speaking, he stated, quote, Father, we ask for your forgiveness from our black brothers and sisters for years and years of racism. And I mean, when, when you see stuff like that, you really, you can't help but think, like, what? What the hell are you sorry for? Are you a racist? Like, are you like, did you put your knee on the neck of a black man until he died? Did you own slaves? If you uh, if you answered to no, you know, if you answered no to all of those, then what the hell are you apologizing for? Really, I don't know what you're apologizing for. Why are you saying sorry? What did you do specifically? I mean, it it's bizarre. It'd be like some German person today walking up to a Jew. And getting on his knees and apologizing for the Holocaust, or you know, take whatever other example if you want, you know, some Turkish guy begging an Armenian for forgiveness because the Armenian genocide—just it'd be bizarre and weird. You you wouldn't ever see that. These people wouldn't have to apologize. I mean, unless they were directly involved, it wouldn't make sense for them to apologize. You'd be like, yeah, "It's fine. You did not do anything. You weren't there." But I mean, nobody tends to to think that, so, I feel like every other post I'm reading, uh, you know, you have this, this caption along the lines of it, starts in most likely all caps, then it says dear people of color, followed by something, you know, that goes I acknowledge my privilege, or I will do better, or this is the one that you're always seeing is it's not enough to not be racist, you must be anti-racist. And, I mean, if you, and then if you want to get into that full, like, just, like, cringe where you're like, "Ugh," then you notice people call themselves a white ally. And, I mean, calling yourself a white ally is about as bad as when dudes turn into, like, white knights. You see it on on social media sometimes, or if you've witnessed it in person, then I'm sorry, but when they call themselves male feminists. I mean, calling yourself a white ally does not get you points with this angrier side of the protesters and rioters, which we'll get into, just as calling yourself a male feminist does not actually increase your chances of getting laid. You know, I saw in uh, in one video I can't remember who shared it it was Barstool or somebody. I saw I saw it a few times on on Instagram. But uh, so there's these group of guys and they're all playing beer pong up in their up in their uh, apartment, and then a large crowd passes. Uh, Passes through their street and these guys in there, you know, throw a thumbs up and, and they're, you know, they're fist bumping. And five seconds later, five seconds later, they receive a brick through the window. And of course, (laughs) of course the guys inside, I mean, it's not funny. Like you shouldn't get a brick through the window, but it, I'll explain why it's a little ironic. But of course the guys inside, you know, they get confused and they try shouting, hey, hey, we're on your side, Black Lives Matter. And I think one dude even tries to like sort of feebly like do a half like, like Black Power, the fist up sign. And then, yeah, they're like, hey, we're on your side. Like what the hell was that for? And that's because you always have to remember, always remember. As you hear people talking about like there's a revolution right now. There needs to be a revolution. The revolution eventually eats its own. That's what it does. The revolution eventually eats its own. So please, if you're if you're one of these people out there calling yourself a white ally, just know the revolution will eventually eat you and spit you out. And more importantly, like I think we make up these terms like ally just to make ourselves feel better about doing something that's perceived as right or noble or virtuous. I mean, it's not, but I mean, it, because if you're not gay or if you're not black, then you're not part of the victim group, but you have to, you have to say something to make yourself feel important. So you call yourself an ally. And I mean, I first heard this term like a few years back during, it was during pride month or something, you know, I saw a post or a video and obviously had the LGBTQ and then it had I, A, A, P and all the, all these other ones. Cause there's like four other ones that added now, four other letters. And so I noticed the A in there and I was like, well, what the hell does that stand for? And so I look it up, I find out one of the A stands for ally, and I'm like, ally, what? As in, as in, like, you're an ally to the LGBTQ community, as in, like, you don't hate gay people, like, 99% <laughs> of the rest of the population, like, a normal person, those same normal people, the same 99% of them who also aren't vicious racists. And it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't know why we're making up these terms for each other, why we have to make up these names, I But again, it's just another reason to sort of virtue signal, I guess. And that that brings me to the next one. is like virtue signaling, it truly is one of the more annoying and honestly just insufferable, super insufferable aspects of social media culture. Like, I love social media. I think it's amazing. I I think it's awesome. But it does help bring truth to the term. I heard this term yesterday. I actually saw it during... uh, during Blackout Tuesday, um, in regards to posting uh, the black boxes, and that is, a good deed is only worth doing if you can post it to your Instagram. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty spot on nowadays. If as long as you can put it there, then it's worth doing. If you can't, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. And you know, I'm not an overtly like religious person. One of my, one of my serious like serious flaws, is that I do not attend religious services regularly. But that being said, I still know that, you know, the importance of religion and really like the, the large amount of just like infinite wisdom within the Bible if you give it a read. And there's one verse in particular that pretty much sums up the, the, uh, the little black boxes, people posting the black boxes. And so it's Matthew 6 verses 1 through 4, and it reads, quote, End quote. So, I mean, so going out and peacefully protesting police violence, you know, not looting stores, not assaulting people, that I believe is virtuous. Okay, that is, that is virtuous. You are exercising your First Amendment right, and I, I believe that's what people should do. I, I, I agree that something needs to be done about police violence and brutality and these unions that, that back them. But I'll tell you what's not virtuous. what's not virtuous is sharing a black box on social media, so all your friends can see what a good woke person you are, thinking you somehow defeated racism, and then going back to watching Netflix or doing whatever the hell else you were doing, like, come on, we all know that you posted the black box and that I mean that was it not like nothing else was done i mean that that is not virtuous that is just empty virtue merchandising. True virtue is not exploiting something. Perceived to be virtuous for your image and personal gain. I mean, true virtue, like it used to require real courage, real actual courage. As um, a great author, his name's Nassim Nicholas Taleb, he wrote this book called uh, Skin in the Game. It's pro- really probably one of the best books I've read the past few years. Um, so there's a quote in it and it says, the more costly, the more virtuous the act particularly if it costs you your reputation. When integrity conflicts with reputation, go with integrity. So I mean that quote right there and the Bible verse I just shared earlier, those are seriously in direct opposition to what pretty much everybody is doing on social media. Sharing a black box, it requires zero courage. Okay, saying racism is bad doesn't require you to maintain your integrity. Everybody's in agreement on that. Everybody agrees that racism is evil. Everybody agrees that what this cop did was evil and that he should be prosecuted and that he should be put in prison and that all the the other cops around should be as well, okay? Like, those things do not take virtue. And, you know, we're we're constantly told how how racist America is and and everything, but it's like, can... I guarantee you, you could not name a racist right now, an actual racist... Like, if your life depended on it. I, I know. I don't know any... Right? Oh, the weird thing is, is if I went on social media right now, it would seem like everybody I went to school with was actually secretly a racist. I don't know it's weird. But, again, it's like if you don't virtue signal with this little black box in your Instagram, then that means you're secretly, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Calvin Candy from Django Unchained. <laughs> it's like... sure, you never explicitly engaged in in, you know, running a a betting ring for Mandingo fights, nor did you grab a, a you know, Kerry Washington by the head and threaten to bust her skull open with a ball-peen hammer. But implicitly, deep down in your core, because you are white, that's, that's what you're seeing on social media, and even more importantly, because you're American, not only because you're white, but because you are American, you know that you have, as, as Barack Obama put it, racism in your DNA, And so that brings me uh, actually to – we'll talk about one of the – maybe the – I don't know, one of the funnier parts of the whole Blackout Tuesday. I mean it's all sort of darkly funny because it's got a lot of irony in it. But one of the funnier parts of the whole Blackout Tuesday trend was so when I got up in the morning, uh, like the first two hours of the day, you, know, you just saw nothing but black boxes uh, with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. And then BLM for Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter the hashtag, and then like an hour later, my timeline you know my timeline was flooded and stories were popping up, uh, you know in all caps with exclamation points, you know do not put the hashtag Black Lives Matter in your captions. It's flooding the hashtag with black boxes and nobody can see the other posts on there, and you're blocking information and you're muting muting black voices, and it's like good God like. I'll tell you, it's really got to be exhausting being that woke. (laughs) Because, I mean, no matter what you do, it's like you can't win. First, you try to prove how woke you are and not racist you are by posting this black box. You're like, yes, everybody's going to know I'm not racist because I posted this black box. I have just covered my ass. That's what you were thinking. That's what every corporation was thinking. And they're like, yes. And then... You come to find out now or later that because you put hashtag Black Lives Matter, you inadvertently silence black voices, and now you might be even more racist than when you began. <laughs> I, I, you just, I mean, you can't win. And, all right, I I—I know it's its fun to tease uh, these people who've seen themselves as uh, modern-day civil rights activists, you know, posting their black squares, and they're, they're you know, showing the same bravery as Rosa Parks, and... And Martin Luther King Jr., but we'll take it a little bit serious, right? Right now, with what's going on with the protests and riots, because I, I mean, that stuff is pretty scary to see on to see on the news, to see constantly. Whenever you put on the news, it's all. I mean, that's all you're seeing. Is that is all you're seeing on news and social media are these riots and and protests, which some are some some are peaceful, but I mean, there's there's a good amount that are not that just they are not and so i mean there's this notion that america has not changed at all since its founding and that being a black person today is the same as being a black person back when the country was founded the other day i uh, saw a news article i think it was from yahoo uh there was a black man in beverly hills on like sunset boulevard and he had this noose around his neck he had a little like. Uh, little setup around him had a noose around his neck it had the whole like gallows thing and then a sign that said 1619 to 2020 with the implication being that nothing has changed for black men in America from 1619 to now obviously and I I, that right there is what I refuse to believe I refuse to believe that America hasn't changed at all and that all of us as Americans still hold these same racist sentiments towards black people that our country held during its founding i mean you you just you do not see that like this country was founded with slavery as a part of it and that was the most disgusting stain and still is the most disgusting stain on our history followed of course by segregation and jim crow and i get it we did not uphold our value that all men were created equal for a long time, for a very, very long time, we failed at that. And then we started to make progress and persevere. Like, that's the thing, is people are not perfect. There is not a perfect system. But if it is based on a, a moral and just system, that it will start to get better. Like, over 360,000 Union soldiers fought and died. The I mean, a large majority of them white, I I would say. Almost all of them white fought and died. To ensure that black Americans were freed from slavery. You know, and, and in between that time, we had the horrific atrocities being committed in the Jim Crow South. But eventually, decent Americans from, from all walks of life. White, black, you know, Christian, Jewish, like, they all came together to ensure that segregation was forever put to an end. And to say nothing in America has changed... I believe truly is to ignore our history and our progress. I mean, racism did not end after the Civil War. It didn't end after segregation stopped. And unfortunately, it still hasn't ended really even after we elected Barack Obama, a black man for president twice. And I'm almost positive that racism will never fully be cured, but we have made nothing but progress since our founding and I I refuse to believe, like I said, that being a black man here in twenty twenty is the exact same as sixteen as sixteen nineteen like that, like that person in Beverly Hills, you know, made the claim. I mean, if, if you asked everyone that you know if racism is wrong, I'd venture to say one hundred percent of them would say yes, racism is evil and wrong. And if you ask them if what this cop did was evil and wrong, I promise you the same people would say, yes, of course, this cop should be put in prison, like I said before, and his officer should as well. You know, everybody agrees on that. We are all in agreement on that stuff. But somehow, we came to a disagreement on was this cop racist in intent and the reaction from what happened. So there are peaceful protesters, there are peaceful protests, and there's rioting, and looting. Those three things are happening. I am all for like I said before. Like I said before, I am I am all for utilizing the First Amendment right to organize a peaceful protest against police brutality. But that is not only what is happening. Okay, we're we're seeing this other narrative promulgated and it's been it's been I mean it's been pushed for years by the left in this country. I, for a very long time this has been pushed. You know, in I I mentioned her like I, America is evil it's racist nothing's changed and the the police force cops they're i mean they're just an extension of all that racism and evil also american capitalism was built off the backs of slavery so actually the rioters going into target and stealing stuff is justified because that's not actually targets that's not actually apples or nike's or that small little mom and pop shop that's not actually theirs it is actually black americans products because american capitalism stole from their ancestors so they're just taking back what is rightfully theirs there's a uh, there's a filmmaker whose name's Ami Horowitz and he puts these like short little documentaries together and he recently shared footage of his uh uh of these protesters and i want to be clear like these were these were protesters so these were not rioters you know people have been saying that white people have been infiltrating, which, I mean, which is true, um, and Antifa has been infiltrating, and, and they've been causing all these riots to take away from the, the message, but these, to be clear, these were protesters. These were not rioters. He asked protesters in Minneapolis what they thought about the rioting and looting, and when asked about the rioting and looting, one of the protesters was quoted as uh, saying, quote, Google, Microsoft, all that bullshit that's all built up, that's all slavery money. So when we take it back or we burn it down, yeah, we're going to take what's ours. You ain't going to give it up? Okay, you ain't having it no more. I mean, and this isn't to say, again, that all protesters are like this. But the media uh, the media does say that, you know, that all the protesters are peaceful and, and that none of them are okay with this rioting and, uh, and it... It's simply not true if you're saying, like, not all, again, not all the protesters want this, but there are protesters who are okay with the rioting, who are okay with the looting because they have been told, you know, that, that America is evil and it's racist, and it, I mean, it should be pretty obvious as to why this way of thinking is so dangerous, but to some on social media and, you know, various news anchors, it's not, it's not obvious because, they see these these ends as a justification to the means. I mean, if, if America was built on evil and slavery and all the great things that we have today, like I mentioned before, like Google, Apple, Nike, whatever the L you know, whatever else, you know, if that's not actually ours, but they belong to modern black Americans who are the descendants of slaves, well, then that justifies their stealing, rioting, and looting. And if the end result to all of this is somehow racism is 100% cured, And no black man is ever killed by a cop again then the rioting and looting and shooting and killing of a black retired police captain while he tries to defend his friend's store in st louis is okay i mean if all cops are racist and evil and they are enforcing this unjust system then i mean we shouldn't be shocked when a cop in las vegas is shot in the back of the head or when three cops in buffalo are ran down by a vehicle in front of the police station And we shouldn't be shocked if one federal protective services officer is shot and killed. I mean, it's unfortunate that there has to be deaths, but in order to have a revolution to tear down this unjust system, uh, I, I think it's safe to say some blood is going to have to be spilled. And, you know, going back now to the whole virtue merchandising and white guilt struggle sessions, um... I mean, we're also seeing that with, with businesses as well. So you're seeing businesses engage in this. And do businesses actually care? Um, I'd say that actually every business is trying to just avoid the social media mob and the literal mob on the streets by seeming <laughs> seeming as woke as possible. But it seems uh, most of their efforts are, are pretty futile. Because just like those guys who threw a brick, you know, Got their got their uh, window smashed by a brick. Simply putting a black square on your business Instagram account, or spray painting you know, BLM on your on your business or black owned business here, you know it won't actually save you from the looters and rioters. Like, do some do some companies care about all this? You know, call me cynical, but you know again, no, no. I think they're just hoping that by putting BLM on their windows, it will be like a. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of Exodus, like putting blood on their doorposts so the the angel of death will skip their house, and so I today I wanted to close out with this question and try to sort of figure it out and give you my my personal take, and that is, are cops overwhelmingly racist, or do they tend to be undertrained? And get their asses covered for them by police unions. And if you looked on social media today, then the answer would be cops, of course, are overwhelmingly racist. They hunt down and gun down black men. But if you look at statistics, that's simply not true. So I was looking on a couple websites, and according to blackdemographics.com, there are roughly 21 million black males in America. And according to statista.com, in 2019... Two hundred and thirty-five black men were killed by police. I'm also going to note here that three hundred and seventy white men were killed by police that same year. And now my name my my aim is not to trivialize black death or do the gotcha, like, you know, see, white men are actually killed more, they're actually the victims. My point is that if the narrative were true, that police were truly, you know, these these vicious racists determined to gun down black men, then I feel like the number would be higher than 235 out of that that population that I just mentioned beforehand. But that's not what this is about. That's not what I believe. I don't believe that there is a racism issue within police departments. Do racist cops exist? Yes. Yes, of, of course there are racist cops out there. And if you know if they're caught acting explicitly racist, then they should they should be fired or if they do something illegal with racial racial intent as well then they should be prosecuted but i believe the true issue within police departments is inadequate training now i have quite a bit of friends and family at various departments throughout southern california and i got pretty much the same answer when i asked them these these few questions one if they received enough range time if they did any sort of extra drills that focused on like panic inducing situations, so I mean maybe being on your own and you're confronted by two to three other individuals and trying to you know uh, de-escalate the situation if they get extra training in that and and find you know finally how to engage somebody in hand-to-hand combat and restrain them without using lethal, lethal force like we just saw with uh, George Floyd. The answers, like, unanimously were no, especially when it came to that last one, especially when it came to grappling and other martial arts training. Now, honestly, this was not this was not shocking to me. I'm, again, I'm going to share anecdotal evidence right now and personal experiences, but I think this will kind of highlight the point that I was trying to make and what I was told by my friends in law enforcement. So um, before I do that, though, let me read this. So according to a 2019 article by InsideHook.com, It stated 56% of teen girls and 48% of teen boys do not participate in sports. Another study that I looked up from stadiumtalk.com showed the top 25 most popular sports in high school. Of those 25, only one martial art made that list at number 11, that was wrestling. Now there are roughly 247,441 male participants and 21,124 female participants in wrestling. So, so far, what do we know? So we know over half of teen girls and close to half of teen boys do not participate in any sports in high school. And of those that do, only roughly, total, 268,000 participate in a martial arts such as wrestling. And I, I'm i sort of, I'm using wrestling as a baseline here because it's, I mean, it's sort of it's been a staple in high school sports, whereas something like... Uh, you know, I'm not familiar of any high schools with boxing teams or judo, jiu-jitsu, karate, any other sort of martial arts. So we have these cops. So, so in a job where you're expected to be in pretty good physical shape, where you need to know how to defend yourself in hand-to-hand confrontation, it's highly likely that most of these cops, they either didn't grow up playing sports and if they did, it wasn't even any sort of martial art that would benefit them in their line of work. Like, they might have played sports, which, I mean, you you get athleticism from, from other sports. Like, you, I mean, if you play football, that'd be, I mean, you could probably handle yourself in a hand-to-hand confrontation or basketball. I mean, just based on the sport you play doesn't necessarily dictate how good of a fighter you are, but at least you will have that formal training if you did something as a martial art. And the reason though that I wasn't surprised when I was told all these things by my friends in law enforcement is that I too dealt with that exact same sort of stuff when I was in the Marine Corps now I'm I'm, you know I'm not an NCAA champion I'm not Dan Gable on the wrestling mat and I'm not (laughs) you know I'm not Nolan Ryan when it comes to throwing your baseball but I can at least throw a baseball I can at least you know hold my own on a wrestling mat you know I'm and again, I'm not exaggerating. Again, this is like I said, this is anecdotal. This is a story. But my experience going through boot camp, I swear, over half the guys that I met in there could not walk and chew gum if you asked them to. And it did not get any better once I got out of boot camp and hit the fleet and and I met, you know, more Marines and stuff like that. I just it seemed like the like a a pretty good plurality of them had never played a sport before and they especially never did any sort of martial art, anything involving striking or grappling or you know, anything like that. And it it wasn't just because, you know, I was some the term is pogue, which uh, if you if you're not an infantryman, that's what you're called. Like it wasn't just because of that, okay, it wasn't just because I was a videographer. It wasn't because it wasn't because of all that because, you know, we hang out with uh we, we deal with cameras and all that stuff. You know, I went out with grunts I went out with the air wing, and trust me, a good chunk of those guys too looked like they'd never thrown a football, baseball, basketball, you know, whatever. So, and then you get to learning MCMAP in the Marine Corps, which stands for Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. And, <laughs> this, and this is the thing, where is if they're learning martial arts and they're not learning it right, because it's these same people who cannot throw a baseball if you ask them to, somehow being given the authority to teach you striking and grappling. And again, not to be on my high horse, like I'm not an Olympian, I'm not a D1 college wrestler, but by the time I had enlisted, I had already wrestled for well over 10 years with some of the best wrestlers in California, best wrestlers and coaches. And and one of my other friends in the Marines, he had done boxing for almost his entire life by the time he got in. So what sense would it make for me to be taught takedowns by somebody who has never been through a single wrestling practice. Or for my friend to be taught striking by a guy who's never thrown a proper jab. I mean, it makes zero sense. And these instructors, they can become instructors in in like less than a year. Like really, you can be, I was like, if you can, you know, if you can become an instructor in anything, that's probably not good. That's probably not going to be good for your students or the people learning under you. And that brings me to like another issue that, again, this whole... So I'm trying to make a point of this correlation between the Marines and wrestling to... Or the Marines and uh, uh, police officers to sort of show you, you know, what I'm trying to... I'm trying to make the point that they don't actually get enough training for the things that they're expected to do. And so another issue that I dealt with um, in the Marine Corps was this overused term, every Marine is a rifleman. And now I, I, I get what it's trying to preach there. I get it, we're a branch of the military and it, you know they're trying to say, no matter what our job is, we need to be ready at any point in any time to drop what we're doing and pick up a rifle and accurately engage a target. But I, if they believe that, I I feel like they don't believe that because if they did, then they would be acting a little bit differently. They'd be doing things differently. Like, if high-ranking officers actually believe that, then they would make range time for all MOSs, not just the uh, combat arms, more frequent than once a year for a week. I, the combat arms get way more than that. But if you're, like, I went once a year. Literally, I went once a year. And I know this is crazy, but if you if you want to get proficient at something, you probably want to practice it more than once a year. Like, I, I wouldn't call myself a baseball player if I... If, you know once a year i went out to the diamond and played catch like i wouldn't call myself a wouldn't call myself a baseball player so so i mean if we want to see police brutality and killings decrease i don't believe fighting this sort of broad narrative of racism is the answer like racism has been essentially eradicated out of public life in the us like again i i i Want you to ask yourself, how many racists do you personally know? Fighting specific instances of racism that's good and noble. But, but you know just shouting about white privilege and systemic racism without any evidence, I mean it, it doesn't help anybody. It just makes you seem like a good person because, you know, because you're virtue signaling, and then casts any disagreement as racist because I mean, if they disagree with you, you know, saying that there's there's racism out there somewhere in, in the ether, then they're saying it doesn't exist, and that can make them racist. But I mean, that's not how it should work. But I believe better training for the police is what you know what is the answer here. There's a scene from a, a very good movie called Man on Fire. It's got Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning, and so in the movie, um, Denzel Washington. Uh, is her bodyguard. She comes from a a wealthy family in Mexico. Uh, The father's Mexican and the mother's an American. And so she's a competitive swimmer in it. And Denzel is helping her train. And one of the things he said to her, which is like truly one of my favorite quotes of all time is, there's no such thing as tough. You're either trained or you're untrained. And that right there is what we need to ensure. We need to ensure that we are sending trained adequately trained men and women out to protect our communities and enforce the law. That may look like programs to ensure they're getting mandatory range time every month. Maybe, you know, something like that has to happen as well as grappling and striking and learning, you know, updated procedures on how to restrain a person who's handcuffed, you know, because seeing that video of George Floyd killed, you know, I mean, it was, it truly was one of the hardest things to watch. It was, it was disgusting. There's no reason a cop should have his knee on that man's neck like that, especially when he's already been handcuffed, especially when he's got his partners around him that could have easily helped out if anything went wrong. You know, and this isn't the first time that we've seen cops act brutally in this way. Something that comes to mind because I, it was, it was such big news at the time. And it uh, was in Fullerton, California, which is near, near where I used to live. Uh, in 2011, a homeless man, his name was Kelly Thomas, you might remember this. Um, he was brutally, like brutally beaten to death by multiple cops in Fullerton. And I remember it being all over the local news and radio shows. I would hear it all the time. I was in high school at the time still. I would hear it all the time in the morning on the way to school. And then I would see it when I got home. And I remember just, you know, seeing the video and hearing him cry out. He cries out for his dad like a bunch of times. It's just... I mean that, that's gut wrenching stuff, and if if you have not looked into that incident, um, I'd urge you to do so because it's another instance of what I'm trying to highlight here. There was also another one that I saw recently. Somebody shared a thread on Twitter, and it was just all these uh, instances of police violence where again they handcuffed a dude and they they put him in the ground or in some like hay or something. So it was, I think it was more of a rural area, and uh, he ended up suffocating because they wouldn't get off of him and they. Put him face down and he couldn't breathe and there's another one where a a person had I think it was like a, a BB gun or something he was pointing out of a window at a hotel and then this cop is pointing an AR15 at him in the hallway he doesn't he doesn't have the the BB gun or whatever at the t- at, on himself at the time and this cop is just giving him contradictory directions and screaming and all this stuff and guns this guy down in the middle of this hallway its i mean it's it's insane um but again, these instances they weren't racial and in intent this wasn't racism again, I mean most of those guys I just mentioned were white, but it was police brutality, police not being trained, and them knowing that they've most likely got their behinds covered by their unions. And that because they aren't familiar with any formal training, you know, in a martial art, that when they engage somebody in hand-to-hand combat, they're, I mean, they're in such unfamiliar territory that they end up just – I don't know what it is. They must just go so over the top. But yeah, I mean because that's, that's all that's, that's all I can think of because what we're seeing here isn't racism. Is there racism? Yes. But what we're seeing here is just poorly, poorly trained cops and it it really it has to end there has to be something there has to be better training if it's contracting out so you can get a a professional in to teach some sort of uh grappling and striking you know getting more time on the range like I said before that I believe is what has to be done I do not believe that you know it's it's due to the american system and american capitalism and, and all of us being racist I believe this was the Unjust action of an evil cop who will hopefully be put in prison, as well as his know, partners and fellow officers that were there with him. But to blame the whole American system is wrong, and I, just, I simply don't agree with that. But all right, that's it for today. So thank you for joining me for the first episode. You know, here that was it was great for me. I hope you, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, you know, thanks for being here in the war room.